How's it going, Simple Lifestyle Podcast listeners? This is your host, Carlos Rivera. Welcome to the show. And today, I'm excited to have a very special guest, a friend of mine, an intellectual, a scholar, my friend, <laughs> Jovana Marinkovic. Jovana, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hello. I don't think I qualify as any of those you've, things. You've been saying that, but... <laughs> Like I mentioned, this is not, don't consider this an interview. This is literally a conversation recorded. Yeah. I, I feel like, and everyone has a story to, t- to tell. Everyone has knowledge to share. And you have an all, a lot of knowledge to share. I know you're humble about it, but I, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a cool conversation. I'm excited for this. I'm excited to be on here. Thanks for having me on of the course. podcast. So, a little icebreaker. What is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received was from my mother. Uh-huh. I was, I remember we were in the car, it was the summer before college, and I was really stressed out. I tend to psych myself out about things I haven't even done yet. <laughs> and she just, you know, like, my mom's the sweetest person in the world, but if you, you know, as soon as you cross that line, like, she snaps and she goes, she looks at me, she says, stupider people than you have done this, okay? So, she, you're going like, to be fine. She, said that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stupider people than you, and then sometimes I actually think that to myself, like, yeah, stupider people than me have to, people drive. Like, I remember not thinking I was ever going to drive, and, you know, it doesn't take a high IQ. <laughs> yeah. So you were stressed about driving? Is that what? Just no? driving. Well, yeah. I mean, at the time, like, the context of when she said that was I was uh, stressed about college. I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to graduate and write those papers and read that much? And I hadn't even gotten to A&M yet. Like, Look where you <laughs> are now. Foot. You're literally graduating, what, a month and a half? And, you know, I still don't feel qualified. <laughs> <laughs> was four years not enough? Just stay a little bit longer. I think that. it was too much and still <laughs> I'm not where I thought I'd be. But, you know, you know what? Stupider people than you have done this. Yeah, exactly. You can't forget that. Exactly. We have to always keep learning and questioning. So I think that's probably part of it. It's Yeah, it's like the more you know is really just the more you know you don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the more you start learning, the more you realize, wow, there's so much more things that I want to learn, but I don't know about. Yeah, exactly. It, like, opens up, you know, different portals of knowledge. Yes. In a way. Yeah, yeah. Something I admire you is, like, always, you're always with a book, right? And I, I can never <laughs> tell if it's for a class no, it's or a, if it's for fun. It's a prop, actually. <laughs> really? just, just, just in disguise? I just so want to look like I'm reading. talk to you just like, hey, I'm reading, you know? <laughs> That's actually a really good strategy. <laughs> and at the same time, you're learning. For example, this book we're going to talk about in a little bit you're, you have right here, Capitalist Realism. Is there no alternative? Is there no? Yeah. I told you, it sounds so angsty. It sounds it's like... It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's really good stuff in there, which we can talk about. It's very good. Yeah. But something that, I mean, we have in common is our thoughts on materialism, right? We've had a, a discussion about this before. Yeah. Funny enough, when we kind of <laughs> discussed this, we were... At a social gathering yes. where we were trying to break the world record for the most populated party. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? Yes, I do. It was it was an attempt. It was an attempt. We, we didn't quite get there, up. but yeah, you yeah. know, support was it was good. Support support <laughs> was there. I met a fellow Bolivian, which I didn't expect from the exact same town, which I did not expect either. You know, it was a very international gathering. It I was. Say. I was very. I was very. I was really amazed of how, you know, culturally diverse it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a and you know, people give it flack for not being a very diverse campus, but it's actually not true. I mean, somehow we ended up in, I think, in a bubble. 
of yeah. international students <laughs> with our friend I groups. I thought it was really a bad thing, though. No, not at all. And I just think it's very surprising. And I try to talk to my friends at UT, and I'm like, you know, do you do you hang out with these people, too? I'm like, no, not really. Really? So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm not talking to the right people. I don't want to, like, offend any uh, <laughs> longhorns out there. It's okay. They might be listening, so we always got to be careful. But I think we have a surprising for being literally in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what would possess someone to go from Barcelona to College Station. <laughs> a change of scenery, I suppose. It's but, definitely a change of pace. I mean, yeah. there's a reason why there's over 60,000 students that choose to go to a place like this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sometimes it takes you four years to, to realize why. Yeah. And sometimes you realize it immediately. It depends on the situation. It does. You know? It does. But... I guess that wherever you, whatever you do, wherever you live, there's always something to take away from it. You can find some little thing that you enjoy. You can say, well, I learned from it at least. So there's that. <laughs> so like kind of back on, on the topic of, yeah. of, 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 di- of diversity and let's talk about your background. Okay. Because I think it's always interesting. All right. Well, so my parents were both born in, well, it was Yugoslavia at the time in Serbia. And my brother, and he's a lot older than I am, but I was the only one born in the U.S. Um, They came to Chicago in 1993, and I was born in 1996, and then 2002 or three, we moved to Texas, so I kind of grew up in, like, the Dallas area, mostly. Um, But I think because of the way my parents are, I... I, they tried to not let us forget, my brother and I, even though we were growing up here, they tried to not let us forget that, you know, they were Serbian. I guess I always felt like the Serbian person in any room. Like, I never felt American, even though I'm the only one that, you know, was born there. And right. so, and I think because of that, I had to, like, out-Serbian everybody else to prove myself. <laughs> How did you do that? Well, like, if my brother says something wrong, like, if he slips up in his grammar... I love to be the first person to correct him. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, so it's like I an want... instinct now. Yeah. Okay. It, it's like, you know, I have to prove that I have, you know, done my duty. <laughs> I am more so Serbian I am than Serbian. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I went to Italy for a semester, and suddenly, like, well, I guess here, when you say, oh, I'm Serbian, people don't really, they either, like, A, they're like, oh, is it cold where you're from? And I know they've been Siberia, or they oh, yeah. have <laughs> no idea where that is. Um, but... When I went to Italy, people actually did have an opinion, and a lot of the time it wasn't a good opinion because of the war in the 90s. And so I kind of stopped saying it because I didn't, I'd never felt that before, but I didn't really want people to judge me based off of where my parents came from. But over here, like, that's like my thing. Like, oh, I'm different because this, you know? And so over there, I became the American or the Texan, and that was really strange. So I felt like that was my delayed identity crisis. Well, I mean, I think it's important to stay close to your roots, whether, you know, your, your family roots. Yeah. Right. Whether you were born wherever your family's from or not. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember the other day, a few months ago, we tried those Serbian cookies that <laughs> yeah. you made, Vanilla which too. were incredible. <laughs> Thanks. Made me kind of want to go visit. And you just, should. Because <laughs> we tried some a homemade version. And I remember you bought, you bought the, like the wrong, uh, Oh, the lard. Yeah, yeah. Oh you my god. The wrong lard. I tried. To, <laughs> yeah, I tried to make them with lard. They used for tortillas, but they tasted like pork. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little, had a little bacon feel. Not good. Yeah, it was rough. It was tasty though. I'll give you that. The I texture liked it. was I enjoyed better. It. <laughs> the taste was bacony. 
<laughs> I'm making me hungry now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so just to transition, let's discuss materialism. Materialism. You know, in the world we live in, it's just, we seem like we can't get away from it. You know, there's always new products, the new of the new of everything, and it's so tempting to want more. Like, it's in our nature, in, in our biological construct Ooh. to want more. Ooh, there's where I have to stop you. <laughs> okay, please do, because I don't know where I was going. Um, <laughs> Tell me what you think. I, I remember being a freshman and taking... No, sorry, I was a, I was a sophomore. Well, it doesn't matter. But basically, I was taking this English class, and I had a professor I really liked to talk to. And one time I told him, well, I remember what I was trying to argue, but I was like, but that's not how humans naturally are. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, mm, eh, you know, basically in liberal arts, like, as soon as you try to argue something using nature, it you you wind up into an I, I like an ideological problem in your argument because just by defining nature we're kind of separating it out from other things so we're placing onto it our own human ideas and people change and we don't necessarily do things just because that's how we've always done them Mm, I don't know if I can explain this as well as I I should but the problem with saying we do something because it's natural to us um is kind of frustrating because it's, in a way, the death of critical thinking. Mm. It's like saying, well, it is just because it is. Well, no, it's actually because of this. That I mean, why do we... Mm, I'm struggling to think of a good comparison. I don't want to use men and women because, personally, I really hate doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Let me try to get back to you on that. Um, is yeah, I'm trying, I'll, I'll probably try to think of an example, too. Yeah, but yeah I do, I do see your point. I do hear I'm not attacking you because I remember <laughs> sitting there and being like, Wait, what do you, like, oh, this hippie liberal guy, like, what does he mean? There's not those yeah. such thing as nature, you know? Kind of, I don't like that. Like, we should never, I feel like it's bad to take things into extreme, but mm, humans are kind of conditioned, so we... Uh, this is going back to another philosopher I had to read for class, but Hannah Arendt was arguing that um, and we are conditioned beings, and so we live, and she calls it a state of plurality, which means that, like, we live amongst each other, and we kind of mm-hmm. we depend on each other, and the things that separate us out from being, you know, just animals is human action, um, and we participate in a public sphere, and actually, little by well, a lot by a lot, our public sphere and our private sphere have kind of been overlapping. But oh gosh, that I could talk <laughs> about that for three hours, but we don't have the time for that. But um, I've already lost my train of thought. Carlos, this is harder than I thought. It's okay. This is really hard. It's, it's okay. Um, We're building a conversation here. Yeah. What was I trying to say? Basically, we don't really exist in a bubble. Yeah. And. Like, the concept of race. Um, race, Stuart Hall is a cultural theorist. He he founded the the study of cultural studies, the field of cultural studies. He founded the field of cultural studies. Mm-hmm. And um, he says race is a floating signifier, which a floating signifier is basically a, a term that, like, it means something, but the meaning changes a lot. It changes depending on the individual person and the 
place that it's used in and what context and so many other things. And you think you can identify it, but it really shifts. It, mm, depending on historical period and so many things, but it's used to kind of collect people into groups. So let's say, you know, I have an opinion and you have an opinion, but we can use this blanket term and then you and I can sit under it like a little umbrella, even though we kind of don't agree, but we can agree on certain things. Right, like a middle ground. Kind of, yeah, like it kind of helps you find a mushy middle ground. Um, and this relates back to populism and the way Trump uses words, like, um, you know, the whole make America great again. That's kind of like a floating signifier. So it's like, what does make America great again actually mean? It depends for a lot of people. But still, it's enough of, like, the idea you think you kind of know what it means, so you're able to stand under the umbrella of it. I see. Like, willingly. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so nature is kind of like that, too. Like, I can say, oh, it's natural. But, yeah, but what does that mean to to person A, B, or C, and how can you actually define that it's natural? I mean, the reason Stuart Hall was saying that race was a floating signifier is he said there's really no scientific basis for any meaningful differences in race. And sometimes, you know, like somebody looks white, but they say for themselves that they aren't, or they think they are, but somebody else wouldn't call them. Like, I... my. I live, um, some of my friends are from Mexico. And for some reason, they're always like, you're not white. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not white? My whole life I thought I was. But what they, like, what I came to mean when I had asked them, like, what do you mean? They're, what they really meant was I don't look Anglo-Saxon. Like, I don't have blonde hair. And um, I just always found that kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. So careful when you use nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I try not to. I really don't. I feel like we are in control of a lot of things. Yeah. Right? But there's certain mindsets that are instilled with us be- from past generations, whether we like to or not. But it gets to a point in life where you can make more choices for yourself. Yeah. More decisions for yourself. That's true. Right? Because, like, the way you grow up, it's... As a kid, you don't have that many... That much flexibility to choose what you what you know. You know what you know because people told you about it or you watched it or you read it somewhere. Right? But it gets to a point, like, right now, young adults where you can make a lot more decisions of different mentalities that you choose to have, right? Whether you do think that, oh, things are just the way they are just because, or if you choose to dig deeper and realize, oh, wait, there's mm-hmm. things that I can choose to kind of, you know, think of instead of the norm, you know? Right, right. And you get to college and you start to realize how much of what you think, like how much of what you think is what you would think and how much of it is what your family or your friends or where you grew up and... I mean, then you have, you struggle with what's my free will and what do I, like, I don't exist in a vacuum, so where would I get these ideas if I wasn't around the people that I was around? And It's really difficult, and then it makes you think about, you know, um, I am doing this uh, court-appointed advocate thing for foster children, and I had to go to court, and I heard some difficult stories about parents who weren't good with their children. They've been taken away by CPS, and... But then, you know, you hear about the parents' lives, and I look around and I thought, you know, what keeps me from being up there in front of the judge? If I had not had certain people in my life or certain circumstances, maybe I would have ended up as a totally different person. I I really, nobody can know that necessarily. No clue. Yeah, we're, we're, we're born into certain circumstances that we don't have any choice in. We have no say in it. 
Yeah. Right. You're born into a certain into a certain family in a social a certain certain social class, and it gets to a point where you know you feel like you don't have control. Yeah. Right. But there is a there 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 should be more awareness of. I mean, yes, you might be put in a certain situation, but if you're given hope and you know and been told that you could take a different path, then people kind of open their minds to other things. Yeah. You know. That's true. I mean, sometimes there's a lot working against you, though. Exactly. But I guess you still do have the power to make a decision at the very least. And, you know, we're all accountable for our own choices. Or at least I like to think so. Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So let's talk about this book. Yeah. That you were you were reading. Actually, kind of some of the things we've said do relate to it. I haven't finished it, so I it's really... Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. I know you right before this, you were, like, trying <laughs> even, to rush I know, through. I was like, trying oh, to no, read. I haven't finished. Um, it's called, yeah, it's called Capitalism. Capitalist Realism, Is There No Alternative? by Mark Fisher. He is a cultural cr- critic from the UK. And um, it's, I just find it really very, very refreshing because a lot of the time as a liberal arts major, I spend my time reading these very dense scholarly articles and sometimes you wonder you know if you really want your idea to get out there why would you use so much jargon and bs (laughs) why would you say it like this um and sometimes it's like a mind puzzle and i feel like the point is to make you think um but this is written you know it's a very short book it's like not even 100 pages actually um, and it's very, written very clearly and uses some really interesting um, references that I think people would generally relate to. Although, I think you... Did you know any of the... Well, like, uh, give an example. Okay, so on the first page, he's uh, using Children of Men. because um, So it's a movie uh, where humans are not... I feel, if I can remember correctly, humans are not able to reproduce anymore. So there are no children being born. And it's just like one of those, you know, dystopian... Uh, it's been so long since I've seen it. But it's it's a dystopian movie, and the world is does not look very nice. And he uses uh, this example of the Guernica hanging in a, in a place. And when you think about if there are no new eyes, he's saying um, there are no new eyes to look upon cultural artifacts. Do they lose their meaning? I mean, what what like does no it following mean? generations? Yeah, if yeah, um. exactly. There's nobody to try to comprehend what it means, and it's just like dead. It's just pointless. And um, and then he goes into talking about public space and the the importance of that and what's what's happening to public space. And actually, I decided to write my next paper on that for the class. Really? Because. It's really interesting, like, when you think about Amazon and online shopping and stuff like that. I mean, my brother has this weird obsession with malls, which I will never understand. And he's kind of, like, a morose person sometimes. So not only does he like malls, he likes the ones that are falling apart. Like, <laughs> like the creepy ones that nobody goes to. He walks around there. Incredible discounts. And he feels just, like, bad for them. You know, I don't know. He just likes to feel bad for things. And... To, to be fair, I see his point. It's like the mall was this suburban... You know how, like, the Romans had forums? Right. Well, this is kind of like our modern-day capitalist forum, but we're losing them. You know, 
they're dying around America. And you can go on websites and look at dying malls. I know because he sent me these. (laughs) (laughs) People have a lot of time. People have a lot of time on their hands. (laughs) They do. They do. But, you know, it's good for people who want like sociology and things like that. I mean, but with with all this malls closing, right? Yeah. A a big reason why people like going to malls is because you go and you feel the product before you buy it. It's like a tangible thing. And I feel like people are getting over that. With online shopping, you have, like, accessibility to buy a lot more mm-hmm. and they deliver to your doorstep. I feel like people just get lazier. Lazier and lazier and lazier. You remember the movie WALL-E? Yeah, that's exactly what I always mind. think of, like, okay, I mean, a lot of things are very convenient these days and I, I'm all for them. Sure, But sure. I feel like we're slowly going towards a WALL-E situation where literally everyone's moving around in chairs mm-hmm. and that those chairs do everything for them. Yeah. You can look up anything. You just press a button. <laughs> if you want a refill, you press a button. It's really sad. And everyone's just obese you know they're not they're not exercising they're not moving around right and it's just i don't know if all this is going to turn into that anytime soon but you know i feel like people just have more ability to get more things now because of it right through amazon yeah no and not only like get more there's like the material like you think the you need all these things but you really don't you're kind of overcomplicating your life and yeah. missing what's important and getting um something he talks about in the book is like you get you know, bombarded by things every single day. And there's a sense of, like, you feel tired all the time. And we do not live in the same world that our parents lived in at Mm -hmm. all. And it's really difficult to try to imagine anything else. And that's why he said, is there no alternative? You feel like it's, he says, um, he quotes someone, I don't remember whose quote it is, but um, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism because... We have all these, you know, <laughs> scenarios, all these movies of, like, oh, the world has ended. But we don't ever, we can't imagine fixing the problems of our economic system. We just think that people are naturally greedy. And that's why, you know, I'm not arguing for communism. I think that they're both ends of, a, you know, both bad ends of a spectrum. But, you know, why is the, you know, why don't you, why can you not argue it's bad to argue that, you know, like, the woman naturally belongs in the home, but it's totally fine to argue that people are naturally greedy, and that's why we can't have a different economic system. That's why this one is perfect. Has anything ever been perfect? I mean, it's completely... To argue that it's natural is completely ridiculous because any economist will tell you that our economic theories are man-made. I mean, they're theories. Yeah. you know, they are what is it in place of things? Widgets or what do we, what do we use? Uh, I don't know. I'm isn't not sure. It, isn't it widgets? I think is the uh, the, the currency term. when they when you use money or or so, oh, no no it's like the, the thing you buy. Okay, I I'm I'm in a con- I'm in. I failed AP <laughs> Micro, but I got I'm the credit. I'm an major. I can't <laughs> this. What a shame. But um, I don't know. I, it's just something to think about. Um, and. The reason that, you know, it's like, it's not that I love malls, but the fact that our public sphere and our private sphere have become one. So, like, I don't even have to leave my home in order to buy anything. I don't have to interact with a single person. I don't have to feel anything about a single person. I mean, or haggle a price or, or you know, when you think about how they suggest products to you just you're constantly bombarded by things you need and things you don't need and you forget what's really important so do you think 
a movement like minimalist, the minimalist movement <laughs> is like a way to combat that? Is that even, you know, because do you think that, that movement is ever going to grow big enough to alter how we see mater- material items in the world? Minimalist, maybe you could explain more. Yeah, so the minimalist movement in terms of material things. Yeah. It's just essentially having, not having, only having items that bring meaning to you, mm-hmm. right? Not hoarding and like, oh, you I know, see. like there's been, uh, um, I forgot what the, the show called, what it was called on Netflix, but there's this this lady who helps people declutter, essentially. Oh. They have so many things <laughs> I feel like in I their garage, in their rooms, and it's like, <laughs> you don't need all of this, this stuff, you know? Yeah. And minimalism, minimalism essentially helps you look at what you have and, basically prioritize what items are important to you and why you don't need 15 t-shirts yeah or you know all these different types of outfits and i know ladies love their well actually <laughs> ton of shoes so i can't argue for for all that right but it, all in all it is materialism we value items so much we physical do. items so much yeah and it's it's almost sad like if, if if you if you you know could you go a day without for example like your what's your what's your personal favorite material item yovana let's let's my talk about that personal favorite material oh my gosh my cooking stuff okay that's understandable <laughs> that's okay but, but does but do you have like 10 different pots and pans um yeah yeah oh, you for do. lots of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah it depends on what you're making let's see i'll only make everything all in one pan and it works out fine but i'm not <laughs> a cook you're, what you're doing so that's probably my <laughs> That's probably why I can't really cook mm, well. Let's think about earrings. I really like earrings. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean. So, it's, it's hard, right? It's I hard to, like, you become emotionally attached to these things. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's hard to escape that. Yeah. Right? It is. So, it's is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? I mean. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I think it's kind of a cultural thing. Like, that's how we, how we identify who we are. Like, that's how we shape our identities, right? So, you know, I choose a certain pair of earrings and I'm trying to say this about myself. This is my style. And so, therefore, you know, people can see that and they recognize. And then I see something about another person and, you know. Um, Hmm. But I think what we were talking about that party, um, I was (laughs) bringing marks into it. (laughs) Oh, you were. You were. I was. (laughs) And um, you're like a brief overview of what that was. Oh yeah, so I was talking about fetishism of the commodity, which is oh right, which is just um, okay. So like, not just like a table is not just a table. It's or no no like like a ring. It's not just an engagement like a ring. You know how girls want one from like Tiffany's, which is right. crazy expensive. But yeah, it's like that would be fetishism of the commodity. Like it's not just a thing. Like. It means something, and, like, the fact that it's from Tiffany's adds an extra value, you know. So we, we as we go about our daily lives, more than you think, um, our world is dictated by the exchanges, by, like, the stuff we have. Because we go to work, and we exchange our labor for, it's, well, it's an exchange value, money, basically. Right. And so our life like everything we are and everything we do can be spoiled down to the amount that we've received for that labor. You know, when you think about it, like you go to school to get a job, to go to work, to get money, to do other stuff. Like, what are you going to do with that money? (laughs) And then the kind of thing I find most creepy is 
when you do have an employer and you, you know, you engage and you sign a contract, basically they own your labor. So especially like intellectual property, um, whatever it is you produce, they own. You don't own that. What you got out of that was the money that they gave you. Right. But that's just money. But then you made this thing. And so, okay, the um, I work at, um, I work make, making pastries <laughs> mm-hmm. on the side. And the cook that actually works there, he's really, really smart. And he's read a lot. And he makes me feel very stupid sometimes. <laughs> but I'll talk to him about, like, Locke and Hobbes and Rousseau <laughs> um, while we're chopping cantaloupe and I'm, you know, wow. rolling out dough. <laughs> but It's a great working environment. It's very interesting, <laughs> actually, yeah. But he was um, he was saying how he wanted to research something, and he just couldn't find out anything about this author. And I said, well, did you try JSTOR? And he was like, well, I don't really have access to that anymore since I've graduated from college. I thought to myself, how terrible. We put a price on knowledge. You can't access it unless you pay a certain amount. But, mm. you know, like, what is that? Okay, fine. You know, besides the fact that there's an amount on it, what does it mean to put a price on knowledge? It means that you're limiting it, that you don't really care about going forward, about making actual progress, because we can make progress in one sense, but not progress in another. Um, so, yeah, we can create a bunch of stuff, but is it really better for us i mean i guess it's hard to define what better is what progress is but i like to think that it's some kind of like higher level thinking higher level understanding of our world um you know do you know what i mean like i think it shows what we value in our society if we put if we have knowledge under a key then not everybody you know and not everybody has access to that key so yeah, it's, it's it's almost exclusive. It's creating, yeah. It makes yeah. it a commodity. That's what it is. The yeah, it makes knowledge a commodity. Wow. I feel like I could, like, you just blew my mind right there. You think just, about I mean, this what we're doing sad, is critical it? thinking, uh-huh. right? Like, okay, so we're we're almost out of time, okay. but let's just have a really quick overview of your thoughts on critical <laughs> thinking because I know this is important to you. Yes. Because literally, all this is all we're doing here is thinking critically. Thank goodness. You know, <laughs> think about that. It's like, I mean, some people don't question a lot of things. Yeah. Right? And something I thought, talked about in a few of my past episodes is asking why more often. Right? Mm-hmm. You know how as, as kids, you're super curious and always asking why this, why that? And asking yourself why more is also, I think, really important. It makes you think a lot, de- like have a lot more deep thoughts with yourself and maybe understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Right. Yeah. So in your in your words, you know, so what I think it's like no matter what field you're involved in of work Mm -hmm. or study, critical thinking is important. Yeah. Right. So what are your thoughts about critical thinking? And how? I think that I get frustrated when I read what I have to read for class sometimes because it seems so negative. And then I find myself feeling like a pool of just hopelessness. But then I thought. Critical thinking is not positive reinforcement. If it felt good, (laughs) it probably wouldn't be good for you. It's like eating your vegetables. Mm. You have to question, and it seems like you're being negative, but it's because 
you have to poke at what you think isn't right. Because if we were just saying like, oh, this is great and that is great, then, you know, we wouldn't get anywhere. <laughs> you don't improve by just tapping yourself on the back every day. So, so give an example of when you would not do that. When I would not. Like you would not. So like you're saying to not give constant positive reinforcements oh, to yourself? Or? Oh, yeah. Well, just in, well, I was kind of using like, it as an analogy for just like our general you know, like what's wrong with the world or what isn't, you know. Okay. But I guess for yourself, I don't know. I mean. Oh, so you were saying like, so instead of saying, oh, like. I was thinking of critiquing, critiquing. like social critique. Social, okay, 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 okay. That makes more sense. I probably should have clarified. But as for like personal <laughs> critique, I don't know. Maybe with that, like you shouldn't be too. I think people are tend to be more rough with themselves. Agreed. Than they. It's harder to look at the bad things, the things that are wrong with you, than the yeah. things that are good. Oh, man, yeah. I have so much I could say. I'm going <laughs> to blame the capitalist <laughs> neoliberal system on making us feel that way. We could have an entire second Ooh. podcast on that. Neoliberalism and the fact that most people don't know what it is, and I didn't know what it was until recently, um, is terrifying. And it's the atmosphere around us. So. jeez. Oh, <laughs> I could ask so many more questions about that, but we're, yeah, we're basically out of, out of time. Out of but time. <laughs> this was awesome. Yeah. How did it you. feel for you? This was great. Your first really good recorded conversation. Was it not okay? an interview? It's a recorded conversation. Still recorded? Uh-huh. Yes. Still. Yeah. Yeah. This is still gonna be. <laughs> yeah. But. but thank you so so much for coming out. Oh, thank um, you. Honestly, like I've I've learned a lot from just this thirty minutes, and I feel like <laughs> there's just so much more to learn. And you're just making me understand that. Wow, you know, like. I do have a lot of, a lot more to learn and like life is, life is short, but we have enough time to acquire as much information as possible. Absolutely. And when we stop wanting to do that, we kind of, we're dead. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep questioning. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, where can people find you? Social media, contact you if you have any questions about <laughs> any of these things. <laughs> this is your self plug right Oh here. my gosh. I'm the worst in social media. It's Let okay. me, I don't even know my username. Let me look it up. <laughs> Yeah, people just want to, you know, shoot you in a, a message like, hey, you know, heard the podcast. Um, I'm going to talk to you. And I believe it's Yovana M96. That's Y-O-V-A-N-A-M 96. Is that on, on Instagram? Instagram? And yeah. do, you, do you prefer email? Ooh. <laughs> you know, email I know your email as well. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Email stressed me out. <laughs> okay. We're just going to stick with Instagram then. All right. <laughs> Well, you have any any last thoughts? No, I, I don't know. I, it was just really nice, and I hope I didn't babble too much. I hope I made some coherence. I appreciate you <laughs> having you me did. on here. I think you did. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if somebody feels the same way or if they want to attack something I said. That is critical thinking, and that yes. is totally encouraged. Yes. So if you guys have some critique... Send it our More way. More than welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's welcome. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, this is your host, Carlos Chavera, once again. And I will see you guys on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.